Oh, thrush, is it true? Your song tells of a world born anew, of fields gold with buttercups, woodlands all blue with hyacinth bells, of primroses deep in the moss of the lane, of a princess asleep and dear magic to do. Will the sun wake the princess? Oh, thrush, is it true? Will spring come again? Will spring come again? Now, at last, with soft shine and rain, will the violet be sweet where the dead leaves have lain? Will winter be past? In the brown of the copse, will white windflowers star through where the last oak leaf drops? Will the daisies come too? And the may and the lilac, will spring come again? Oh, thrush, is it true? season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Alexis and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions or mini-seasons, as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of Rishun, or the beginning of spring. Spanning from February 3rd to February 18th, this season marks the beginning of the traditional Japanese lunar calendar, The first day of spring on the old calendar was actually the first day of the new year. Even though the start of spring may create a sense of mild weather, the truth is that some of the coldest days of the year are here. Yet following this season, the days will gradually thaw and become warmer. The season of the beginning of spring is preceded by the mini-season Deep Cold and followed by the mini-season Usui the season when snow changes into rain and ice changes into water. The beginning of spring finds snow just beginning to melt, spring breezes are whispering in from the east, and bush warblers begin to sing for the first time in the new year. As in every season, there's lots to explore in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives as we begin our passage into this special period. As icy winds become the dewy air of spring, we may find the liveliest time of the year is awaiting our arrival. Let's set out. Winter, slumbering in the open air, wears on his smiling face a dream of spring. Or so Samuel Taylor Coleridge tells us. Spring may still seem like a far-off dream here at the beginning of February, Yet, the springtime of winter is upon us. Or the winter of springtime? Either way, spring is nearly here, despite a few false starts. Indeed, February's weather is capricious. Like the bright feathers of an elusive bird flitting through the underbrush, we have a sense that spring is stirring around us. But we feel it more in our bones than actually see it. This mini-season almost seems like two seasons in one, So let's make the best of it and explore the liminal space between winter and spring, 
There's a few kigo, or seasonal words, which capture this elusive, shifting nature well, I believe. One of them is yokan, or lingering cold. I think we all know this feeling, when the cold just won't go away no matter how close to spring it is. The frigid air haunts our steps. Then we have the Japanese seasonal word saekairu, which can be translated as the return of vividly clear and cold. The verb saeru is usually used to describe the clear and crisp quality to sound, light, or even the moon. Yet for this mini-season, saekairu firmly describes the return of crisp cold weather. Here are a few haiku where we can particularly feel this sharp turn of the season. More than shadow is the wind returning cold. The return of cold. Then the return of cold again. Springtime. This haiku really does have a sense of spring to it, doesn't it? It's two steps forward and one step back on our way to warmer weather. In the spirit of moving forward, here are two other kigo of this mini-season. Haru Asashi, which means shallow spring, and Harumeki, which means spring-like. These kigo push back against the cold. Chuhos hang on the wall. Shallow spring. Shallow spring is coming and already I'm in the garden. These two haiku contrast nicely. The first reminds us that spring has not truly begun in earnest. After all, why else would two hoes be hanging on the wall and not be in the garden? Spring hasn't begun, of course. On the other hand, there's a sense that with spring coming, some of the winter jobs for our outdoor spaces should be completed soon before spring truly sets in. Yes, we should remember, although wintertime may seem like a period when gardens lie dormant, there's important work to be done before the plants start growing and leafing out. Absolutely. This dormant time of year allows us to really see the shape of our gardens and plan them out for the year ahead. Now is the best time to prune shrubs and deciduous trees. Not only is it easier to see which branches need pruning before their leaves start to appear, Winter pruning also encourages spring growth. An exception is spring flowering trees. If you wish to enjoy spring blossoms, prune those after their flowers begin to fade in late spring. Another important gardening task during this colder season is shopping for seeds and going over last year's remaining seeds to see what's still viable for planting this year. It can be an exciting time to plan out new things to grow. This reminds me of a poem. He knows no winter, he who loves the soil. For stormy days, when he is free from toil, he plans his summer crops, selects his seeds from bright-paged catalogs for garden needs. When looking out upon frost-silvered fields, he visualizes autumn's golden yields. He sees in snow and sleet and icy rain precious moisture for his early grain. He hears spring heralds in the storm's turmoil. He knows no winter, he who loves the soil. 
Those bright-paged catalogs for garden needs can certainly inspire the imaginations of gardeners. And if you can brave the chilly weather, your gardening efforts in frosty February will certainly pay off when springtime truly blooms forth. Another way people used to prepare for the spring season was through controlled fires. They call this noyaki, or field burning in Japanese. Before new growth began, farmers would light fire to fields and forests to clear out dead matter, help generate seeds through warmth, and improve the soil through their ash. Although this practice has mostly fallen away, there are a few places in Japan that remain famous for these seasonal fires, such as Nara, Aso, and Beppu. The morning's blue sky of Aso eagerly await the burning fields. As evening deepens, the scent of burning fields rises in the air. Just like smoky fields signal the turning of the season, we anticipate the change ahead. As was once written, from December to March, there are for many of us three gardens. The garden outdoors, the garden of pots and bowls in the house, and the garden of the mind's eye. We won't have to imagine too much, though. Although cold, wet, dark, and dreary days still mark our lives, hints of the world of activity that is beginning beneath our feet can be found if you look closely. To quote Vita Sackville-West, It is imperceptible, even as the growth of a child as you watch day by day, until the moment comes, with a start of delighted surprise, we realize we can stay out of doors in a twilight, lasting for another quarter of a precious hour. Yes, that's certainly true. The days are slowly but surely getting longer. The light in spring feels softer, gentler somehow. The sun is regaining its confidence. I thought the world was cold in death. The flowers, the birds, all life was gone. For January's bitter breath had slain the bloom and hushed the song. And still the earth is cold and white, and mead and forest yet are bare. But there's a something in the light that says the germ of life is there. Something in the light that says the germ of life is there. Already new life is growing. What else do you think is germinating in the soft light of spring, Alexis? Good question. Let's learn more about some of the newest harbingers of spring with Hiro's Corner. Butterburscapes. The seasonal word Kigo given me is Fukinoto, the scape of what's generically known as butterbur in the United States. Scape here may be botanically correct, a leafless flower stalk growing directly from the ground as in the tulip. Common butterbur takes its name from the practice, before refrigeration was invented, of wrapping butter in its leaves to preserve the butter for longer, an internet gardening site says. Butter might not be applicable to fuki, but then it adds that butterbur is a foliage plant. 
Another site says, root extracts from the plant are often used to treat pain, spasms, fever, migraines, and asthma. Indeed, a poem by Lily Hamilton, I tried butterbur and pie, suggests that much. I tried every supplement known to man, and an internet cure recommended by Stan. I tried butterbur. Thanks for the heart murmur. Miss Hamilton was apparently in search of a cure for her migraine. In the United States, then, butterburrs, let alone their scapes, are not regarded as fit for ordinary human consumption. In Japan, in contrast, fuki is regarded as a sansai, a mountain vegetable, which means wild vegetable and edible. And so is the plant's budding state, which is called fuki noto. The butterbur sprouts an egg-shaped green scape from its root. The scape is wrapped in several large scale-like leaves, and its unique fragrance and its bitterish taste delight the palate. One of the earlier haiku, at the time called hoku, on the butterbur scape is by Yamazaki Sokan, who lived from 1465 to 1553, a samurai turned Zen monk turned comic versifier. In those days, haiku was meant to be humorous, and one of the means of creating humor was the use of puns. In the following piece, arashi means both storm, gale, as well as is something going to be or last, and fuki of fuki no to also means blow or blowing. Niga nigashi itsu made arashi fuki no to. In other words, the haiku carries two meanings. Gee whiz, how long will the bitterness of the butterburrscape last? And makes me bitter, how long will this storm last while the butterburrscape is out? And as for the Japanese preference for bitterness in food, as the French say, chacun a son goût. 400 years later, Sugita Hisajo, who lived from 1890 to 1946, was one who was bitterly disappointed by her husband. The fact that the man, named Unai, had studied Western painting made Hisajo expect him to act like a westernized artist, an understanding man. But to her, he turned out not to be so. At one point, she wrote a haiku. Mending tabbies, a schoolteacher's wife didn't even become Nora. Mending tabbies, a schoolteacher's wife didn't even become Nora. Nora here is, of course, the heroine of the Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen's A Doll's House. At the time, the drama was very popular in Japan. The original name of Hisajo was Hisa. Jo, woman, is added to some of the personal names of haiku poets to make it clear that they are a woman. Though with a name like Hisa, you'd hardly think that she was a boy or a man. Now how about Hisajo's haiku on the butterburrscape? Here it is. It's the bitterish taste of a crush, the butterburrscape. It's the bitterish taste of a crush, the butterburrscape. Crush, koi, here is a brief but intense feeling of love for someone, as the definition puts it. Haiku writers do not always write about fukinoto as food and its taste, of course. Hisaju wrote, Resurrecting spring, earth spirit. Is it the butterburrscape? Resurrecting spring, earth spirit. Is it the butterburrscape? 
With the following haiku, we go back to the poet and painter in the mid Edo period, Yosabu Son, who lived from 1716 to 1784. Don't you know you're a bud, do you, Butterburst Cape? Don't you know you're a bud, do you, Butterburst Cape? The leaves of the fuki grow to be very large. The plant actually gets its genus name, Petasites, from the Greek Petasos, felt hat worn by shepherds, because the leaves are so big that they could function as hats. The leaves of fuki are also eaten in Japan as well as their stalks. For this reason, people cultivate fuki in a number of regions of Japan. Let the butterbur be an example that even the most humble scape can inspire an entire literary world. It isn't just plant life low to the ground where life is beginning, but plant life high above the ground too. Catkins, those fluffy little flowers you see on trees such as willows, appear during this time of year. They are one of the earliest signs of spring. You can find catkins on all sorts of trees, including birch, willow, hickory, sweet chestnuts, and sweet fern. But undeniably, the catkins of the pussy willow are some of the best known and loved. And after you'll hear the legend of the pussy willow, you may love them even more. An old Polish legend of the pussy willow. Many springtimes ago, a mother cat was crying at the bank of the river in which her kittens were drowning. The willows at the river's edge longed to help her, so they swept their long, graceful branches into the waters to rescue the tiny kittens, who had fallen into the river while chasing butterflies. The kittens gripped tightly to their branches and were safely brought to shore. Each springtime since, goes the legend, the willow branches sprout tiny fur-like buds at their tips where the little tiny kittens once clung. The catkins of the pussy willow are a beautiful visual reminder that spring renewal has begun. Yet even hidden deep within trees, life is stirring anew. In fact, it's maple tapping season. Ah yes, sugaring season. Generally, the maple sap flows between mid-February and mid-March, when daytime temperatures rise above freezing and nighttime temperatures fall below freezing. The rising temperature creates pressure in the tree, generating the sap flow and basically transferring sap between the trunk above the ground and the root system below the ground. On its journey, we harvest it. Maple sap generally flows for four to six weeks, with the best produced early on in the season. Yes, it's hard to imagine maple syrup season is so short but it really is a precious commodity. Did you know that it takes approximately 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup? My goodness. Well, we can only hope that the beginning of spring has warmer days and colder nights for a long time. Speaking of nights, it's a little ahead of ourselves, but since we're talking about maple syrup, the full moon of March is also known as the sugar moon or sap moon in honor of the sugaring season. Let's explore this sticky season through a poem by Robert Frost. From where I lingered in a lull in March outside the sugar house one night for choice, 
I called the fireman with a careful voice and bade him leave the pan and stoke the arch. Oh, fireman, give the fire another stoke and send more sparks up the chimney with the smoke. I thought a few might tangle as they did among bare maple boughs and in the rare hill atmosphere not cease to glow and so be added to the moon up there. The moon, though slight, was moon enough to show on every tree a bucket with a lid and on black ground a bare skin rug of snow. The sparks made no attempt to be the moon. They were content to figure in the trees as Leo, Orion, and the Pleiades. And that was what the boughs were full of soon. This poem brings to mind the time I went to Vermont during the middle of sugaring season. As we drove around the woods, covered in mud, I might add, every few miles or so, you'd see a little hut with smoke coming out the top and a sweet scent filled the air. There's something else that's in the air. Oh, is it birdsong? Not just any bird and not just any song. That's the song of the uguisu, the Japanese bush warbler, sometimes translated as Japanese nightingale, although this bird doesn't actually sing at night the way European nightingales do. Their distinctive song has been heralding spring since ancient times. This is referenced in this poem from the Kokinshu. If not for the call of the bush warbler coming out of the valley, who then would be aware of the arrival of springtime? In Japanese, the distinctive song the bush warbler sings is heard as ho hokekyo. Hokekyo is also a name for the Lotus Sutra, a Buddhist scripture. So the bush warbler may be said to be a particularly reverent bird reciting sutras. Singing practice every morning with the warbler. Even the warbler's voice gets hoarse. Snow still on Fuji. In addition to being known for its song, the bush warbler is also known for its association with plum blossoms, another early spring kigo. These two images, the bush warbler and plum blossoms, are depicted together on the February suit of Hanafuda, which are Japanese playing cards used to play various games. Bird and blossom together are widely recognized emblems for this time of year. The warbler has been perching on that plum tree for all eternity. A warbler sings so sweet, and by the eaves, plum blossoms. After cherry blossoms, which you may remember bloom later on in spring, plum blossoms might be the next most beloved flower of Japanese poets. Not only are their dusky pink petals a welcome sight amidst winter snow, the flowers have a pervasive fragrance which lingers on the air even during the coldest months of the year. 
When the east wind blows, send me your perfume, blossoms of the plum. Though your lord be absent, forget not the spring. As on the plum comes blossom after blossom, so comes the warmth of spring. All the snow melts, everywhere the fragrance of wild plum blossoms. The plum blossom is a deeply loved flower in China, too. Along with pine and bamboo, it is one of the three friends of winter, an art motif originating in China that celebrates these plants which steadfastly persevere through this cold season. You'll see these plants depicted together in art and poetry. They're sometimes referred to by their linked names, pine bamboo plum, or song jumei, which transliterated into Japanese is shoujikubai. Oh, I've heard of that. Shoujikubai is also the name of a sake. I've been to the shoujikubai sake brewery in Berkeley. And now you know where the name comes from. But speaking of the three friends of winter, doesn't that remind you of another art motif from China? Back in October, we talked about chrysanthemums as one of the four gentlemen of the year, plants that represent the four seasons. The plum is also one of these gentlemen, representing winter. Poet Lin Bu of the Song Dynasty wrote this poem about plum blossoms. When everything has faded, they alone shine forth, encroaching on the charms of smaller gardens. Their scattered shadows fall lightly on clear water. Their subtle scent pervades the moonlit dusk. What a lovely image that creates. The fragrance of plum blossoms, the songs of the bush warblers, the scent of maple sugar. I must say, there's a lot in the air this month. And not only that... I think I know where you're going with this. That's right, it's love. Uh-oh. It's the season for cats in love. Wait, what? Cats? Lover cat, as a cat in love, has its own way. That's right. Early spring features one of my all-time favorite seasonal phrases, cats in love. This refers to the feline mating season in early spring, when one hears cats amorously yowling at the moon at night, or boisterous fights between male cats. Cats in love! I see! To be honest, many of my favorite haiku feature cats. Here are three by Isa. While hitting the heads of dandelions, cats in love. Love drunk, chasing after a chicken, a male cat. Plum Blossom scent sends him off carousing. Lazy cat. Well, it's a little unexpected, but I take your point. Cats are cute all year long, but particularly noisy in early spring. In fact, February 22nd, just after our current mini-season, is the Day of the Cat in Japan, when cats are celebrated. I remember that. 
In Japan, cats don't say meow meow meow. They say nyan nyan nyan, which sounds like ni 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 or two two two, which is how we get February twenty second. It's a play on words. That's right. One more cat haiku. Oh, all right. Cats in love when they stop in my bedroom. A hazy moon. Of course, you know that cats aren't the only ones in love in February. That's what I was expecting you to say. Hearts were made to give away on Valentine's good day. Wrap them up in dainty white. Send them off the thirteenth night. Any kind of heart that's handy. Hearts of lace and hearts of candy. Hearts all trimmed with ribbons fine. Send for good Saint Valentine. Hearts were made to give away on Valentine's dear day. I must admit, I am one of those obnoxious people who genuinely adores Valentine's Day. The candy, the hearts, the flowers—I look forward to it every year. If you're in a relationship, it's romantic. If you're single, it's a day for eating chocolate. What's not to love about a holiday like that? Hmm. Well, let's not get into societal expectations around the day. You should enjoy what you enjoy. Oh. Do you think Valentine's Day is too commercialized? Well, I know it's a day a lot of card companies like to make a good profit. At least, here in the United States, about 190 million Valentine's cards are sent each year. That doesn't even count the little cards exchanged by kids at school. I agree with you about the chocolate, though. Chocolate is good. I find it sweet that so many Valentine's cards get sent each year. You've reminded me of a story about Victorian poet Christina Rossetti. Apparently, her mother once remarked that I have never received a Valentine from anyone. So Christina wrote her mother a Valentine's Day poem, and it became an annual tradition, one that she kept up with for some forty years. Now that's a Valentine tradition worth celebrating. Winter's latest snowflake is the snowdrop flower. Yellow crocus kindles the first flame of the spring. At that time appointed, at that day and hour, when life reawakens and hope in everything. Such a tender snowflake in the wintry weather, such a feeble flamelet for chilled Saint Valentine. But blessed be any weather which finds us still together. My pleasure and my treasure, O、oh、blessed mother mine. You know, on this podcast, Christina Rossetti has been one of our perennial poets. She's been such a friend through so many episodes. I have to say, I was quite surprised when I found a poem by her so perfect for what we're about to talk about next: pancakes. Mix a pancake, stir a pancake, pop it in the pan. Fry the pancake, toss the pancake, catch it if you can. 
I love a pancake just as much as anyone else does, but why are we talking about pancakes, Alexis? Because of Fat Tuesday, otherwise known as Mardi Gras. Oh yes, that's right. Mardi Gras falls during this mini-season, and eating pancakes on Shrove Tuesday, which is February 16th in 2021 to be precise, is a tradition for the austerity which is to come during the Lenten period. Lent is a solemn religious observance in the Christian liturgical calendar that begins on Ash Wednesday, the day after Fat Tuesday, and ends approximately six weeks later, before Easter Sunday. The purpose of Lent is the preparation of the believer for Easter through prayer, doing penance, repentance of sin, almsgiving, and self-denial. Pancakes symbolizes one final hearty meal of eggs, butter, milk, and sugar before the fast. Mm, this is making me want some pancakes. With that maple syrup we just talked about? Listeners, you may have your own pancake recipe, but we dare you to try these very special pancakes listed on our website. We won't even say what it is. You'll just have to visit nourishingjapan.com for yourself and be surprised. Before we end this episode, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning of this episode. That the first day of spring on the old calendar was actually the first day of the new year. Yes, that's right. And in many parts of the world, it's still celebrated as such. You may also know the Lunar New Year as Chinese New Year. That's right. What Westerners call Chinese New Year is typically referred to as the Spring Festival in China. And it's the longest Chinese holiday, with festivities lasting for 15 days. This year, 2021, the Spring Festival begins on February 12th. The Spring Festival will end on February 26th, which is the night of the full moon. You know, preparing for the Lunar New Year's festivities shares a connection with some of the seasonal things we've already discussed in this episode. Stalks of pussy willow branches are a favorite decoration during this time. They represent prosperity, as their fluffy white buds resemble silk, and they soon sprout forth shoots that resemble green jade. Not just the pussy willow, but the plum tree too is popular as a New Year's plant. The popularity of finding a perfect plum tree in the days before the Spring Festival has been compared with that of Christmas tree markets of the United States. There are different customs across the different regions of China, but the Spring Festival is always celebrated with an abundance of food. In northern China, dumplings are eaten at midnight on the first day of the festival. In southern China, spring rolls are eaten to celebrate the coming of spring. There are many other dishes that are commonly enjoyed by families during this celebration, and most dishes are created with symbols for prosperity and happiness throughout the year. Aside from the delicious menu, another custom people look forward to is exchanging gifts. Red envelopes, the color red is considered to be auspicious, with gifts of cash inside are customarily given out, especially to children, but also to newly married couples and the elderly, with wishes of good fortune in the new year. Friends and relatives also exchange gifts, particularly gifts of cakes, candies, and fruits, especially oranges. It's also interesting to note that at midnight on the first night of the Spring Festival, more fireworks are set off worldwide than on any other night. Fireworks were symbolically used to scare away evil spirits. In the morning, firecrackers are lit to welcome the new year and attract good luck. 
It's a joyous festival full of celebration befitting new beginnings. We'll close with an optimistic poem from the Song Dynasty that honors this lively time. Another year is gone with the sound of the firecrackers. Spring is coming. We can feel the warm wind. It is time to drink the two Sioux wine. On this bright New Year's Day, thousands of families are busy. Every family is busy with changing the old scrolls and putting up the new ones. joining us as we explored the stirrings of life around us in the beginning of spring. With the full moon begins a new season, one of hope, one of life. This episode, some of the Kigo or seasonal words featured were lingering cold, crisp weather, shallow spring, pruning and preparing the garden, controlled burns, spring light, catkins and pussy willows, maple tapping and maple syrup, Bush warblers, plum blossoms, cats in love, Valentine's Day, pancakes and Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras and the Spring Festival, or Chinese New Year. Listeners, what are some other seasonal words you associate with this mini season? Email your kigo to nourishingjapan at gmail.com or feel free to leave a comment on our Facebook page. On this episode, you heard poems and prose by E. Nesbitt. Teiko Inahata, Nishiyama Hakun, Murakami Kijo, Seki Tehara, Sudi Stewart Hager, Catherine S. White, Jane Goodwin Austen, Robert Frost, Oeno Chisato, Kobayashi Isa, Chiyojo, Onitsura, Yosa Buson, Sugawara Michizane, Ransetsu, Tagami Kiksha, Lin Bu, Nagata Koi, Matsuo Basho, Annette Wine, Christina Rossetti, and Wang Anshi. The poems featured on this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators. We would like to thank our poetry readers for this episode. Amelia Bowen, Chris Whitaker, Stuart Diamond, Zachary Piper, Alan Coyne, Bruce Kaplan, Carl Smith, Daniel John Collier, Jessica Lauren, Bernalbi Ted Costales, Vicky Kagawan, Patrice Sarter, Cyrus Lanthier, and Nikki. We would also like to extend a special thanks once again to Hiroaki Sato for his contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, narrated by Ed von Atterkass. And don't forget, be sure to check out the season-by-season season companion playlist on Spotify. Our playlists bring the spirit and sound of our 24 mini-seasons to enjoy all season long. From standards to classical guitar, to jazz to lo-fi beats, this playlist will delight and surprise you. Just search for Season by Season Podcast on Spotify or visit our website, nourishingjapan.com. To quote a song from Groundhog Day the Musical by Tim Minchin, 
You can curse, cast spells, or cry. Offer your prayers to the unfeeling sky. Spring will arrive when winter is done. And if it's not tomorrow, then tomorrow, or tomorrow, there will be sun. May your spring be full of sunlit days, or at least sun in the forecast. And so, with winter's thaw, we see life springing up all around. We hope you'll join us for our next episode, where we explore the mini-season called Wintering Insects Awake. See you in another season.